a praise song before. I will kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid uh, for me. And uh, I know in my life that is definitely, definitely the case. You know, with me, if it's not for his grace and stick a fork in me, I'm done. But, um, but part of it for us, you know, as we think about our neighbors is do we feel that way about others? You know, a lot of times in our life, it's like, I got mine. And as long as I got mine, I don't really care about you. But there is this sense as we look out, have you ever done this? I've, I've done this so many times just to think about the amazing um, nature and breadth of God's grace. That he not only cares about me that way, but that he cares about every single human being that way. And sometimes it's a challenge of faith to even look out over the masses of people and to say, I know that you know me because I'm sensing this relationship with you. But I have this radical disconnect from, um, from the people um, and, and whole people groups and nations and, and wherever I am in the world and to think that he cares about each um, just as much. His name was uh, Greg Miller. And Greg Miller, this is my call, this is my moment of call to ministry. Kind of a crazy call. Greg Miller and I had grown up together. He was that neighbor up the street. The dingy one. The dirty one. The one, for, you know, that... Um, whose clothes were always unkempt, the one that no one else liked. And Greg Miller is sitting right up the street, right? His whole family was a problem. Their whole house looked totally different than everybody else's on the neighborhood. It was a wreck. I remember I'm in a lunch line at my high school, and Greg Miller, dirty old Greg, is, um, is in the lunch line two lines over. And I remember uh, sitting there and God almost touching my heart and saying, hey, Frank, you know how your mom loves you? And I'm thinking, yeah, I know that. For some reason, I'm thinking about my mom. And then this thought crosses my mind. You know, Greg's got a mom that loves him just as much. And then the thought hit me. You know how I love you? You know, I love Greg just as much. Changed my heart instantly. In my high school, I was among the highest performers in the high school. You know, whether it was athletics or academics, I was on top. Greg would have been that kid that was on the bottom that wasn't part of anything. And all of a sudden, you know, this whole idea of value, and some of us have run into that. My value comes by what I do. My value comes by what I accomplish. My value uh, comes from, from my abilities, from my gifts. All of a sudden, all those things went out the door. And I was basically left with, I will kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross with Greg, right? Where you paid for me. It all equaled out. You know, and that day I felt like the Grinch that stole Christmas, right? You know, my heart must have grown three sizes that day. And on that particular day, I began to see people, you know, radically different. You know, we all have these neighbors. We all have them. People who try our patience, right? They get on our nerves, their behavior sometimes is unbelievable. And if we're honest, well, so many times we just want to walk away from them. And sometimes even within the church, I've just had it with you. In so many communities uh, over the years, you were stuck with the people that you were stuck with in your church. Why? Because you were part of a town or a village or whatever of 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. There was no getting away. When my wife and I were first married, we went to a town of 500 people. That was all in the town. There were three churches in the town, right? Well, actually, there were four. There were the crazy Pentecostals, and everybody kind of looked over at them, and this guy had his own radio program, and none of anything that he blurted out over the radio made any sense. Those were our crazy neighbors across the street. 
Then there was our church. You know, we were the Protestant church in town, right? Then there was the Roman Catholic church, and that was them. And then there was the small Hispanic church. There were no restaurants in town, right? Uh, we were too small to have any restaurants that were really a going concern. And so each church had its annual thing. At Christmas time, the Spanish church did this whole tamale feed. And everybody would pick up Mexican tamales, and the whole church would get this major income as 500 people bought tamales from the, uh, from the Spanish church, right? Our church, we had all the cattle ranchers in our church. I mean, we had guys that had like 40,000 acres of cattle range that you know, they were driving across. And for me as a young guy right out of seminary, you know, I'm just driving my little Daihatsu charade, my little three-cylinder out in the middle of all these fields like a crazy man, you know, it was just, and they were worried about me because I was a city guy, right? And they were the country ones. And they were worried about me being the crazy neighbor from the South, which I was. But they kind of enjoyed it because for me, everything was fascination. You know, hey, jump on that tractor, and could you, I've never been on a tractor. What? You've never been on a tractor, and so I'm driving a tractor around. All right, so that's that. And then, um, and, so, and so with all the cattle ranchers, we had this deep pit barbecue, and one of our guys would slaughter a whole beef and put it down into, oh, it's so good, and put it down into, the, into this pit and roast it for like 48 hours. It was just unbelievable, and the whole place would, uh, would show up. You know, but then there was, but the, but the real famous thing that everybody was proud of was the, was the men's, um, you know, was the, was the men's baked beans. You know, they had this men's group. It's like men's baked beans. And it was like, I ate these men's baked beans and I thought, these are terrible. But this was they, what they were, thought they were famous for. All right, so that's them. Now, then there was the Roman Catholics, right? And the Roman Catholics, these were all the tomato farmers and these were all the Italians. So when you went to the, when you went to the, when you went to the, uh, when you went to the Roman Catholic dinner, everybody looked forward to that in town, all right? And there were two reasons. One, it was this incredible Italian feed, and two, Roman Catholics drink wine. <laughs> and so, and so that, you knew that was going to be served, and we had to be good neighbors, right? And so people that would never take a sip of wine ever, it was okay at the, uh, at the Roman Catholic dinner, Crazy, crazy neighbors. There's a sense of just living in community and being with each other. And then, and then when you're in a community that small, there's all these stories, right? You know, there's the families that are in, the families that are out. The family where three generations before somebody did this, and we still remember it. They need to be really careful who you talked about because everybody in the town was interrelated. And I'm this brand new pastor coming into this congregation. I'm loving my people. And, in a very, and I learned that every pastor before me had gotten into really deep problems. People didn't like them. There was all these problems for years and years and years. And I'm just loving people. I'm just fascinated with everybody. It's about six months into this thing that I'm realizing, holy cow. There's about four or five of my pews, about 40% of my congregation that are interrelated to each other. Get on one person's nerves and you lose the whole clan. It's amazing the traps that you can walk into in a community and not even realize that every community has its culture. Now, our whole, um, our whole ethos, who we are as Christians, is not about being individuals. We always hear this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? It's just me and Jesus, man, me and Jesus. But it's not me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. And the wonderful thing about a retreat like this is, and this is what I believe, that because God has created us to be in community, he will do things among us when we're together that he will not do. He will absolutely not do when we are apart and by ourselves. You've heard it said, man, I don't need to go to church. You know, I can worship God on my own. That's true. But you know what? He will not do things in your life that he would otherwise do if you were together with God's people. Why? Because he's created you, and the, and, and the point of our redemption is... Um, 
the point of our redemption is us being home with him in heaven. We say it. Our Father, what? Who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Okay? Now we know who you are. What's the next thing we're praying for? Thy what? Thy kingdom come. What's a kingdom? A kingdom is a community ruled by a king with everyone under that king and together. But it begins more than that. Our what? Our father. So it's saying that together we're family. Now we don't only have crazy neighbors, but we have crazy family people. Would you agree? I mean, there are some days when you're thinking, I don't mind getting together with all my neighbors in the church. They're cool. I want to hang with them. But man, I am not looking forward to Thanksgiving this year, right? Or Christmas. I've got to get together with my family. You know, there's that family member, that brother, that sister, you know, that sister-in-law, you know, and we all have them. We all have these problems. There he goes. Amen, God. I just know it. God will talk to you and speak to us when we are together in ways that he won't do when we're separate. In you, in me, in us. And that means everybody. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And a lot of times in community, when it comes to our neighbor, we want all the good, right? I want the good neighbor. I want the one I can be in deep relationship with. But listen, God will use those other neighbors as a great challenge to your faith and as a growth point for you. Aren't you blessed? So many times, too, we get it wrong. You know, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many what? Rooms. Oftentimes we say, in my Father's house are many mansions. I've got a mansion over the hilltop. And what we're telling ourselves is, I get my separate house, my place. That isn't what you're promised. You're promised a room in the house with them, (laughs) with everybody else. And I think so many times we just give up on each other too fast. We move away from our neighbors. How many of you have known people in the church, we'll talk about this in just a little while, who things are going along great, and then there's this blow up, right? And they leave. At that moment in time, you have stunted your growth. At that moment in time, they have stunted yours. We have ceased to continue the conversation. I deal with people, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous, all the time. And one of the things that we know about people that have drug um, or alcohol dependencies is this. It's, uh, it's called self-medication. I run into a stressful situation, right? And I begin to self-medicate. And what happens is people will self-medicate over a period of time and maybe years. And finally, they decide, I I can't do this anymore. I've got to wake up. I've got to stop this for the sake of me, for the sake of my family. Or maybe they come to faith for the sake of my faith. And then they stop. And you think everything's going to be great. But here's the problem. A lot of people have started this idea of self-medication back when they were 16, 17, and 18. And rather than dealing with problems, rather than dealing with relationship, rather than dealing with the hardships of life, they what? They self-medicated. And so the idea is now that I'm off the self-medication, everything's going to be what? Everything's going to be great, but it's not because what's happened is they've stunted their growth and emotionally and in terms of how I deal with problems, I'm still a 16-year-old. I see it all the time. And so we're dealing with two problems. The first problem is let me get you off of alcohol or let me get you off of drugs. And the second problem is now let me grow you up. Crazy neighbors. We, uh, we all have them. I found this uh, quote that uh, just kind of cracked me up. It's uh, from a book called Wake Me Up When They're Over by Jared Kins. He says this, every night, here's what I do. I pray. I whisper into a megaphone, (laughs) whisper into a megaphone, not only so God is sure to hear, but also my neighbors. Because I pray to God that he'll deliver pestilence and plague to the residents next door. 
I even tell God the exact address as if he can't read my heart. But it's not for God's benefit. It's for my neighbor's. And sometimes that's the way we feel. Oh, God, my life would just be better if they would move away. CKL, go ahead and hit that next slide, whoever's got the, I'm sorry, whoever's got that that next one. C.K. Chesterton is a great uh, Christian author, and here's what he says. He says this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they're the same people. Oftentimes, that's the way it is, man. I had that happen. Um, my, um, you know, just neighbors in our neighborhood. My daughter right now is, um, is living in a neighborhood and, uh, and living in an apartment complex. And uh, she goes to the Royal School of Speech and Drama in London, England. Actually, as we speak right now, the train was taking her from her apartment, and because they often do train work, um, it stopped about a mile away from the theater where she's performing Shakespeare tonight. And, uh, and so they're doing Romeo and Juliet, and she's in this play on the stage in London, but she broke her foot last week. So last night, they had their opening, and she's playing her part on stage in London on crutches. So this train, I said, hey, honey, how many people can say that? I played the London stage on crutches. But anyway, um, so that's her. But, so the train left her off a mile away from the, uh, from the uh, theater day, and so she has to hobble over to the stage on crutches for a full mile. That child's going to be sore um, tomorrow. Anyway, she lives in this apartment complex with others that are musical theater people. And these musical theater people, guess what they're doing all the time at all hours of the day and night in their apartment? They're singing musical theater songs. That's what they're doing. That's them. And, uh, and so they're singing these, uh, all these musical theater songs. And all the neighborhood is basically telling them, would you shut up with extra, um, with extra, with extra inflections and probably extra words. And my daughter and her theater uh, compatriots are the what? Are the crazy are the crazy neighbors that are always singing musical theater. And so just kind of to give you a, a flair for this, we're going to sing a song from the musical theater, a, a great Christian song about, about neighbors. And uh, I'm going to sing it for you, and then we're all going to sing it together, okay? This is actually from the musical Paint Your Wagon, all right? But it goes like this. God made the mountains. God made the sky. God made the people. God knows why. He fixed up the planet as best as he could. You getting this note? Because you're going to sing it with me. Then in come the people and gummed it up good. Got it? All right. So sing with me. And, and as you sing, I want you to think about the worst neighbor that you have ever had in your life. You got it? All right. This is, and by the way, we always sing these great Christian songs. Oh, God, your grace. Oh, Lord, bless everyone. Oh, God, I'm a sinner, and I want you to bless people. But if the truth be told, this is it, baby. This is where, this is where we live, isn't it? We don't sing, oh, God. We sing, oh, God. You know, that old song, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, which would used to go on forever and ever with a brand new verse. You know, someone's praying, Lord, my neighbor's a pain in the neck, Lord, come by here. Oh, God. All right, so that's your chance, all right? You ready to sing? God made the mountains. God made the sky. God made the people. 
God knows why. He fixed up this planet. Now, really, just dig in. As best as he could! Woohoo! Then in come the people, my neighbor, and gummed it up good. You ever feel that way? And I just feel that way. I didn't feel that way this morning because I like you guys, you know? <laughs> I'd be here in spite of the speaker. All right. There are crazy neighbors that we have. Do you have your crazy neighbor stories? My wife and I, we moved to um, Plymouth, Minnesota, and we had this home. And at the very far edge of our, of our backyard, no, most people didn't have fences. And we'll talk about one neighbor that did in my next talk. But in the very far reach, there was this tree. And my little kids like to go and climb in that tree. Now, we had this neighbor who owned that tree. Now, little three- and five-year-olds weren't doing any damage to the tree, but he yelled at them, and they came running in, you know, just terrified. Now, it turned out that everybody in our neighborhood was terrified of this neighbor, right? And I just thought, I'm not going to sit here and live in terror, you know, of my, you know, of my neighbor. And, uh, and so I decided that I was going to go talk to my neighbor about my kids. But I did it in a different way. I didn't go to yell at my neighbor. I didn't go to let him down. I just went to think, you know what? I, you know, if we're going to have, you know, if we're just going to have a, I can't really say. So there's some days when you just look for language, and in the Marine Corps you could totally use it, but here I'm just not going to use it. And, uh, but, but you'll get the idea. So I, so I went over and I said, okay, if we're going to have this contest about who's more manly out here, I'm going to win. You know? And so I go over, and he's in the backyard, and I go over to meet him. I hadn't met my neighbor before, right? And so I'm slightly bigger than him, you know? And, uh, and so I go walking over, and I've got a big grin on my face, and I go to meet him. And as I'm moving in on him, you know, his whole thing was about space, right? It was about boundaries. It was about my tree. So I'm moving in on him, and uh, one thing I know is that we all have our personal space, don't we? So I'm greeting him, and as I'm greeting him, I'm talking to him. You're uncomfortable now, aren't you? As I'm greeting him, I'm moving into his personal space. Now I'm in space, and the whole time I'm friendly, but there's this whole sense that I can take you out. <laughs> As, uh, as we're spending time together, though, I'm getting a little bit more of his story. And, and uh, you know, and, and then he's realizing, wait a sec. And then I'm backing off a little bit, and I'm smiling. And now I'm no longer a threat. I've just done something, you know, sociologically to him. Moved into his, it's kind of like walking into an elevator, you know. You walk into an elevator, and you're all looking at the door. What happens if you turn around and walk this way? <laughs> you know, hey, everybody, I'm glad you're here. You know, there's some things that we just automatically do. So I'm in his space, and we're having this whole conversation. And then I said, just mentioned my kids. And I said, yeah, I've got a couple kids. How many you got? And he's mentioned his children, and they're older, you know, and uh, saying, yeah, hey, you know, I've noticed my kids are in your tree sometime. I just, you know, I, I, I hope that's okay. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's no problem. He never yelled at my kids again, but as the time went on, I, the story began to unfold even more. His kids had grown up, and they'd become the problem kids in the neighborhood. They'd gotten on drugs and the rest of it, right? And everybody in the neighborhood looked down on him, and he had a sense of shame. And so for him, he'd walled himself up and had become the mean neighbor in the neighborhood. And really what was going on is it was a protective coating for all the hurt that had gone before. Um, she was a... Uh, the, the wife of a special forces um, uh, army person. 
And uh, this Special Forces sergeant had been angry at her one night and had thrown her to the ground and with his knee in his wife's back, she had three little babies with his knee in his wife's back and a knife in his hand, he'd put it to her neck and threatened to kill her. She was angry because they'd fought before. But then all of a sudden the thought hit her, what if he's serious this time? Something broke within her. A short time later, he left her with three babies just all on her own. And uh, she began to self-medicate and to drink and became the alcoholic, needy person, destitute in the neighborhood. She was the one that nobody wanted to hang out with. And yet she had this, this story. Some of you know, a short time ago, I came back from Afghanistan, and some of us were talking about this this morning at breakfast, and here's the weird thing. When you come from the United States and you head into a combat zone, that place is absolutely bizarre and weird when you land there. But people are resilient, and so after time, that becomes absolutely normal, and you're used to that. Now the time comes to return home, and home is the bizarre place, and you are changed. And I came back, you know, from Afghanistan, you know, definitely, um, definitely changed a bit. Definitely haven't been hurt, you know, in some ways. And, uh, but then I was doing weird things. Um, one of the odd things is, is that as we're driving vehicles in Afghanistan, you definitely don't let um, space get between you and the vehicle in front of you. Don't let cars cut in. Because to do that is to split up your convoy and make you what? Vulnerable, Right. And so, as you're driving down the road, you know, if, if, a, if a car is trying to get in on you, you'll actually pick up speed to keep them from, um, from, from, from merging in. So here I am on the freeway, right? There's a semi in front of me and one behind me, and for a moment, I'm back in convoy mode. I'm your neighbor. You're trying to merge in. You see me, I see you, you pick it up, I look at you, and I pick it up, and I don't let you in. On purpose. I had people on the road telling me that I was number one with some other words, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I remember one time, man, I just totally, you know, cut this guy off, you know, and then as he's pulling up, I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, and I look over and I'm going, I'm sorry, but he had none of it, man. He was, he was flashing me special signs, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, it, on your vehicle, by the way, if you ever see somebody with DOD, you know, it'll be a little sticker with a little red sticker or a blue sticker underneath. Understand that that is um, somebody that's serving in the armed forces of our military. And if they're not letting you in, they may have just come from Afghanistan, you know, where they're in convoy mode. It's interesting what can click us back and forth. And so sometimes your crazy neighbor has this crazy story that, um, you know, that is just a little bit, that's just a little bit nuts. Jesus, by the way, had crazy neighbors. Do you realize that? He had crazy neighbors. And we always think of Jesus as being, you know, this person who has great patience with everyone, you know, is always at peace with the world and the whole nine yards. But wonderfully, that's not the way the gospel writes it. Now, there's a story in, um, in Matthew chapter 17. And in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is having the mountain high, you know, experience, right? As he comes down off the mountain, a crowd and the disciples that he's left behind greet him, and there is a great stir taking place. And, uh, and so Jesus is approached by this crowd. And we get this line. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. And this is what I did, Jesus. I brought him. I brought my boy 
to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. So that's what Jesus is, 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 is met with. Now, as Jesus is looking at his disciples, as he's looking at the crowd, as he's looking at the whole hubbub of everything that's going on, check out Jesus' response. Here's what he tells them. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus says, how long will I stay with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. This is a moment when Jesus has just lost his cool. This is a moment when he is not patient, um, not necessarily looking kindly on people. He's not looking, oh, you perverse and what? An unbelieving generation. Oh, how long am I going to be with you? I'm about to die on the cross for your sins and I love you so much. How long, you know, am I going to have to, well, put up with this life before I go back to heaven? Oh, just bring the boy to me. It'll be okay. You know, I mean, that's kind of the picture that we have. But that's not it. He's just going, just crazy disciples. Bring him over here. That's the picture. Okay? You know, sometimes we, um, we will be impatient with each other. Sometimes exhaustion or just trying to figure out what is going on in your life or even, or even the understanding that I have of the world that you don't have. Jesus has this understanding. Demons, get rid of them, right? The disciples are just all confused about what they're going to do with this boy, you know? And, and sometimes my understanding of the world and how I'm experiencing it won't mesh with the way my neighbor is experiencing it, you know? And so, uh, and so we have this sense, these um, obstacles to true unity, you know, one of the wonderful things in Crossway is that together as a congregation, you have this ability to do life together, right? This sense of saying, hey, we're, we're moving into one another's lives. We're going on vacations together. We're going out together. We're spending time together. It's not just about Sunday morning. But, um, but one of the problems is, is what happens then in this community when things go bad? And things will. Anytime we're in any relationship with anyone, some things are going to go belly up from time to time. And so the question is, is what happens in our community when things go bad? And so many times what my experience has been in the church is that we leave too soon, right? We leave too soon. Or we stop the conversation too easy, or we don't even start the conversation because we don't want to make what? We don't want to make waves. And so we lose the potential of going deeper and really getting to the heart of one another. I think sometimes in our lives, we need to make each other a deal. And the deal is, no matter what, I am going to, to love you anyway. I have a friend one time, and uh, he was in the church. He got really mad at something that I'd done. And he came to me and just yelled and screamed at me, cussed me out the whole nine yards. And I just took it all in, you know. And then he came back to me and apologized and said, and I still can't believe you're my friend. And I said, look, if you can't be absolutely honest with me, if you can't yell and scream at me, and I'm still not your friend on the backside of it, then what good am I? But we're not used to that sometimes. You know, our idea in our, in our sense of Christian community and neighborhood is that everything's going to be at what? It's going to be at peace. But all of us are just a little bit crazy, right? All of us can go, at times, just a little bit crazy. And so we need to give each other grace for that you know, an allowance for it. Now, this is the way the story ends. All right, so Jesus has just had his, how long am I going to have to put up with you? 
But the conversation continues, and it doesn't end. I mean, think what would have happened if I would have looked at you or your preacher came up at you and said, you unbelieving, perverse people. I've had it with you. How long am I going to put up with you? How many of us would be here next week? Right, right? Okay. By the way, Paul isn't planning on doing that. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe. No, just kidding. You know, but how many of us would be here? You know, a lot of us say, I've just had it. I don't have to take this, right? But look what would have been missed had the disciples bounced out at that point in time. They keep the conversation going. And so they come back to Jesus, and here's what they say. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, right? Not in front of everybody. In private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Because they'd seen that's what he'd done. And he replied, and now the reply is gentle. Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. See, had they left the conversation at that point in time, they just would have gone away mad. But they would have missed the power, right? Not only of the confrontation and of the reality of Jesus in their lives, right? But also the deeper turnaround of the, you know, of the lesson to be learned at that moment in time. See, God has a heart toward that crazy neighbor. Always does. He had a heart toward Greg. He has a heart to that young mom who's now a grown mom with, you know, on the backside of alcoholism, right? Had a heart about that neighbor in my backyard. Has a heart for those of us that are returning from combat, you know, tours and zones. Whatever it is that's going on that makes us crazy up or down the neighborhood, you know, God's got a heart. Uh, But sometimes we forget that heart. And I want us to talk for a moment about um, God's heart toward that crazy neighbor. Here's the first point. Understand this. God's heart toward that crazy neighbor is compassionate and gracious. Will always be compassionate and gracious even when yours isn't. Martin Luther was a great church leader in um, Germany. We know that name, right? We often think of Martin Luther as being this great person. Here I stand, I can do no other. If I sin, I sin boldly, right? We have these thoughts about Martin Luther. Yeah, courage. Oh, what a man of God, you know. But one day in exasperation, you know, there, were, there was a peasant uprising and the nobles in the area asked Martin Luther, what should we do? Do you know what his answer was? His answer was this, kill them all. Let God sort them out. And on that particular day, that's what the nobles did. Sometimes our heart isn't gracious toward people. Now, the vast majority of Martin Luther's life was absolutely gracious toward people. But on one particular day, it wasn't, and his words were mistaken as directive. Hmm. God's heart is always compassionate and gracious, even when yours isn't. It's what? It's always compassionate and gracious. No matter what. No matter what. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any one of you has a grievance against somebody, what are you to do? Forgive them as the Lord forgave you. You almost begin at that 
place. I love the way the reader's version of the NIV puts it. <coughs> it says this, put up with each other. Forgive the things that you are holding against one another. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Boy, that is a hard one. Because I don't want to put up with my neighbor. I want to put my neighbor down. You know, I want to euthanize my neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) Or I want God to euthanize my neighbor. Oh, Jesus, I know they're probably part of your kingdom and you have forgiven all things. Could you take them home to be with you in heaven right now, please? (laughs) All right, God, move them away. Okay, God, I'm praying for my neighbor. May a brick fall on their head today. I hate my neighbor. I hate that person. By the way, I'm there too sometimes. You know, for me though, I can only stay there so long. It drives people nuts um, um, because I'll begin with Martin Luther's great quote, kill them all and God sort them out. Let them die now, God. Now, please. I will rise up and bless you, Jesus, if you take them out today. But when I begin to think about people, you know, then all of a sudden that heart, then grace starts to kick in. And I start to wonder what the alternate story is. And we'll be talking about that in the next talk a little bit. But part of it is to remember that God's heart is always going to be compassionate and gracious. For God so what? So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, his, his impetus, his starting point is not wrath. We are saved from the wrath to come, right? But his impetus, his heartbeat isn't, isn't wrath, it's love, you know? And so that's where he begins, and we always have to remember that, no matter what, his heart is compassionate and gracious, even when ours isn't. God's heart toward that crazy neighbor is this, it's not looking for payback, even when yours is, <laughs> right? I want justice, I want justice. And God's up in heaven going, okay, I'll give you justice. I'll give you justice. <laughs> I don't want justice anymore. I'd like grace. You know, and God's like, well, how about grace for them? I don't want grace for them. Sometimes I just got to pray for God's heart and say, God, I just honestly don't have your heart here. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't ever want to see that person again. I don't ever be with that person again. I don't want them to be with me. I am out of here, Right? But that's God's heart for your neighbor. It's not looking for payback, even when yours is. Listen to Psalm 103, 8 through 10. It says this, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. Slow. And, he, and even in the midst of a, of a reason for anger, he's always what? Abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us He does not what? Treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. By the way, is this saying that that payback wouldn't be fair? It's not saying that at all. It's saying I choose not to. I choose grace. I choose to love you. I choose to look for another side of the story. That's That's what I'm choosing to do. I'm not looking for payback. That's, that's, that's God's heart, even when yours is. Now, the next line is this, and this is a, a, a key line, and, and it's one that we sing about all the time. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I didn't remove my transgressions from myself. I have no power to do it whatsoever. Neither does that crazy neighbor. But God's heart is one of huge compassion, you know, of amazing, amazing love. And so as I look at my own life, toward my heart, toward people, I have to say, God, do I have a heart that way, no matter what this person has done to me? If the answer is no, then I don't have God's heart. And I know that. You can say, but, but, but. And I go, but nothing. The, The people who God sent his only begotten son to killed him. And he loved them and gave his son for their sins. And by the way, would you say that's a hard task to love and to care for people and to stay engaged? It is. But I just got to tell myself, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. You know? And with other people, say, don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. You know, we, one of the things in community is this. If I know that I can have the hard conversations or if I know that I can let you down and I'm still your friend, if I know that no matter what you're going to love me, then it makes it possible for me to stay in community, right? And vice versa. It makes the community of God's people a safe place to be. But somehow the word has gotten out in the world that we are absolutely an unsafe place to be. There was the uh, sitcom Cheers. We all saw that, right? You always want to go, what? Where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You know, that's the way the church should be, not the bar. But so many times, that's the, way the, that's the way the bar is. You know, we came to faith little by little. We got to allow people to come to faith little by little or to work through things. God's heart towards your crazy neighbor remembers who they are. He remembers who they are even when you have forgotten. And this next verse, by the way, <coughs> is, uh, is my key, one of my key verses for ministry. And it's this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And here's the reason. For he knows how we're formed, and he remembers that we are dust. See, God already knows our weaknesses. And he knows that we're going to fall down flat, you know? And yet always, always he's suffering with us. Always, always he's feeling our pain. Always, always he's going for the other story. Always, always he's going for the deeper part. Always, always he's considering us his kids, you know? And always, always he's remembering who we are. And who we are are people who are in incredible need of a Savior who are in great need of rescue, who can't make it on our own, who are, who are going to disappoint ourselves and others, who have a proclivity to make big mistakes in life and to miss the mark. Always, always, always. And always, 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 he's there saying, I remember who you are, I know you. Always, always, he's there saying, get up, move forward again. Come on, you can make it. Come on, my salvation is for you. Come on. And I look at it and I think within the church we have to be that way too. Some of us are going to blow up. Some of us are going to fail. Some of us are going to fall down, right? 
we are, you know, totally as God's people, you know, the messed up, right? The messed up, hurting, goofed up, bad, uh, bad judgment, big error people. But we're also the redeemed, renewed, cleansed people of God. And sometimes the two overlap all at one time. And God's there saying, I haven't forgotten who you are. And I still, uh, and I still believe in you. You know, sometimes we're out there, you know, and we're leading with the pointed finger. You, 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 you. You know, I already know who I am. At some point in time, though, I may need somebody to say, believe in you, believe in you, believe in you. Come on, we can make this. I'm not giving up on you. I'm your friend, no matter what. I'm here, I'm here, right? You know? How many of you have ever seen the movie uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Have you ever seen that movie? All right, we used to, you know, if, you, if not, it's one worth watching just because it's so incredibly stupid. Um, but, uh, but we had watched this show, and it's about Monty Python. You know, this, this whole group thinks they're King Arthur's knights. Turns out they're all just crazy, right? And they're on a quest for the Holy Grail. That's what they're after, right? You know, and they come across, you know, this, this crossing. And it's a little stream about the size, of, uh, about the size of, of this rug. And that's it. You can walk across it. You know, and in the movie, there's a guy who's, you know, who's, got his little, um, who's got his little raft. And he'll take you across. And he's guarding the stream. You don't get to get across the stream unless you cross me kind of thing, right? And, uh, and so, uh, and so he goes to do, this guy goes to do battle with him. And what are you talking about? You know, all we got to do is cross the stream. Look, I've crossed it. I've come back. I've crossed it, I've come back. But he wants to fight. And so he picks up his sword, you know, and takes a swing at, um, you know, at Arthur. And he's like, what are you talking about? And finally just comes up and he chops off one arm, you know. And now there's blood spurting out the side. And he's saying, come back and fight. So he chops off a leg, you know, and another leg, another arm. And now he's just sitting there as a stub saying, come back, you cowards, and fight. You know, and that's the way it is sometimes in our life. You know, we, we just give up so fast. And instead, we need to be out there saying, you know what, come back, come back. The heart of God's people is always one. Not necessarily that come back and fight, but one that's saying, come back. Okay? Here's a quote uh, to close. Um, There was a great uh, book written years ago um, called Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. Have you ever heard of that book? It's kind of the feel-good, you know, neighbor's story. You know, Rebecca just changes everybody's life. You know, it's a famous kids book by Kate Wiggin. And here's what she says. She says this. The soul grows into lovely habits as easily as into ugly ones. Would you agree with that? The soul grows into lovely habits as easily as into ugly ones. And the moment a life begins to blossom into beautiful words and deeds, that moment a new standard of conduct is established. And here's what happens. Your eager neighbors look to you for a continuous manifestation of the good cheer, of the sympathy, the ready wit, the comradeship, or the inspiration that you once showed yourself capable of. Bear figs for a season or two, and the world outside the orchard is very unwilling that you should bear thistles. And I would say two things about that with regard to our own lives. One, constantly look for that good cheer and that ready wit and that believing in others that you may continue to bear figs. But also understand that sometimes we will get into um, ugly habits where once we had good ones, right? 
Sometimes we will step outside the orchard and we will no longer be bearing figs, but for a season, your neighbor, the person you loved, will bear what? Will bear thistles. And the question is, in the midst of their bearing thistles, will you still believe in them? Will you still believe that they can turn back and bear fig once again? I was speaking um, to someone um, some weeks back uh, telling me about a friend that had really made some big mistakes and had gone over the deep end. And the deep end was going to be disastrous. I just knew it was going to be disastrous. This individual's friends were leaving her left and right. And, uh, and to my friend, as she was telling me about this, I said, look, this is going to end in disaster. The chances are pretty high that it's going to. And I know that your temptation is to leave your girlfriend behind. Don't do it. There's going to be a time when she falls on her face and she's going to need you desperately. She's going to need people who know the story of the thistles to lead her back into the orchard to grow figs. And so many times we leave people when they start producing thistles. And the problem with that is that they forget what it was like to be in the fig orchard, right? And so they continue down a path. And then unfortunately, the path that we take sometimes as a Christian church is to say, yeah, look at them. I knew that's what was going to happen. But that's not God's heart. God's heart is that he remembers that we're what? That we're dust and we're formed and he has compassion on his children. And so for us, that means that we never stop having compassion. We never stop believing. We never stop looking at the possibility that maybe you'll come back or that maybe I can be the one to gently lead you back. Not with condemnation. You know, but with the arm of a comrade who brings his wounded buddy back across the line. Sometimes we do great soul damage to ourselves because of the situation in life or the hurt of it. And at that moment in time, we may not be able to even see the damage that we're doing or that it's thistles that we're producing. What we really need, though, is somebody who's staying in conversation and community with us, right? While we're in the craziness, <laughs> right, of this episode and season in our life to gently bring us back to sanity. It only happens with continued relationship. And as that happens, then people know, I can trust you because you stood with me while I was in the darkness. Every single one of us will have, uh, will have that moment, you know, that season of darkness that comes to all. Praise be to God if he's got brothers or sisters walking gently in the light to say, come with me back when the time's right. Never giving up on one another. Community grows deepest when we walk with each other not only through seasons of calm, but through seasons of storm. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this morning, for the start of this day, for your goodness to us. And Lord, in this moment, in this time, I would ask truly that, uh, God, you would give us your heart for people. And that, Lord, maybe even as a result of this morning, you would just place it on our hearts to say, you know what, I'm never giving up on anybody. Not because I'm so great, but because your love is so great. 
And even as I do that, God, I will be more and more convinced of not only your love for others, but the hope and love that you desire to place in my own soul, especially during my seasons of craziness, when I'm not the man or woman that I desire to be, when I have let down the whole community of faith, whether outwardly where all can see or inwardly where no one knows. I know that nothing's hidden from you. So God, convince me of your grace, even as I seek to hold it out to others who may not be convinced either. I love you and thank you for this time.